Good morning, church. Psalm 118 and 24 says, can you say it with me? This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Uh, those of you who have followed on the screens when we typically read scripture, I do love the NIV. That's actually the English Standard Version, which is the version of that verse that I really like and I try to declare every single day of, of my life and encourage you to do the same. Um, as I've often said, it doesn't mean life is all sunshine and rainbows. If you've lived a while, you know that it's not. But because of someone named Jesus who decided to live a life we should have lived, die a death that we should have died in our place, then rose from the, get, the dead, proving that he's a son of God, because he lives, we can declare, regardless of circumstance, that he's Lord and we have reason to give him praise. Amen? Um, and as we do that, every day we rejoice in him. We simultaneously mourn with those who mourn, we suffer with those who suffer, and we simultaneously grapple with the complexities of what is a very broken world that we get to navigate every single day. And so as we rejoice in Jesus, because he is very much still on the throne, we recognize and acknowledge today the loss that has been uh, suffered. And so I want to pray briefly for the communities of El Paso and Dayton, Ohio, and certainly across the nation where things are happening, but most notably over the last day in the news that is um, there were terrible tragedies there that I want to lift up to the Lord. Can y'all do that with me? Father God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. And we pray today for the comfort that only from you could make any difference. The peace from you that, that could be the only peace that, that could come close to displacing the, the, the fear and the, the trauma and the uh, chaos in El Paso and Dayton. We pray for those near to families and friends of those surrounding that, those who succumbed to the injuries, those who were there, the secondary trauma that those are experiencing. We pray, Lord, that you would be near and that in the midst of a circumstance that does not feel good, to put it lightly, that they would sense your nearness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. My name is Paul. Uh, it is good to see every single one of you this morning. Uh, welcome back to those who, like us, were gone for a bit. And, and I think that's good, by the way, to hit the refresh button so you can come back with a full tank to, to do what God's called you to do in your respective spheres of influence. Um, those who are live streaming, thank you as well for joining us. And for all of you choosing to spend an hour of your time in worship with us, we don't take it for granted as we endeavor to fulfill scriptural mandate, which is to not forsake the assembling of ourselves with saints. And so when we do so together, it's not the only time, hopefully this is an everyday occurrence for our communion with God, but together it's special that with one voice we can say, Lord, we love you. And as the hymn says, great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. I know I didn't help myself breathe last night, any of y'all? But every day, God, you keep me breathing without me thinking about it. Great is thy faithfulness and all that we need he has provided and so we're thankful that corporately you've decided to share with us this moment of worship and to that end i pray that you've been met with a sweet sense of god's presence through people at the door through worship and transition and certainly communion of the lord's table and the offering message that we give each week thank you thank you for engaging with us today i'm going to jump right into the word i will be brief however long that takes and uh i want <laughs> I want you to join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And as you do that, shout out to every volunteer who makes what we see and experience here happen. 
those in front of the scenes, those behind the scenes. Special shout out to the gentleman who facilitated and led us in the Lord's table today, today, Troy Savage and the prayer team. Troy, where are you? Can you just raise your hand? Thank you. Did y'all know people are praying for you every single day? Under Troy's leadership, there's a prayer team who they've assigned with his godly, spirit-filled insight, people to each day to pray for particular topics about this community, the larger community, specific people, so that we can be covered in prayer. Thank you for your leadership and for the prayer team doing that. And on Monday nights, as you saw, we get to all get together on the phone for 20 minutes to lift up the name of Jesus. If you're interested uh, in participating, uh, I'm sure Troy will be happy to meet with you outside these doors after service so that you can join that amazing team. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to look at verses uh, 12 through 27. And before we read, let's pray. God, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word. We pray according to your word. Psalm 119 and 18 says for you to please open up our eyes so that we may see all that is in your law. If you don't open, we can't see. We can't hear. Soften hearts this morning, mine included, to hear the ways in which we need to be nudged and transformed by the renewing of our minds. Thank you for the life that we receive through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. As we did last week, I'd love for you to join me in the reading if you can see the screens. Or if you're reading a different version, it doesn't matter. Let's just, with one voice, read uh, these 100 verses that I've outlined for us today, okay? (laughs) Verse 12. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Amen. We're in a series that we're kicking off this month entitled Teammates Matter. That's the series for the entire month of August. About 20 years ago, I was working uh, over the summer at a nonprofit agency in Washington, D.C. Uh, a, a friend of mine, actually, was UVA grad, uh, was executive director of this 
organization now, runs his own school and doing amazing things in Brooklyn, New York. But then he was running this nonprofit and he said, Paul, I just need some folks who will come in and see these kids, see them, know them, care for them. I'll give you some content. I think you'll be fine with teaching the content, but I really need for people who can come in and care. I said, all right, Rafiq, I got that. What do you need me to do? He said, well, some communication stuff <laughs> and then care. And so we did a number of, I think, fun things, like we made up a rap for how we would learn the Lincoln-Douglas debate format. They did most of that, and I just tried to help with whatever limited skills I had. But then we had a circle time that we called Know Me, Homie. And in that circle time, we got to know each other beyond the superficial, beyond what they might have thought of those other friends, this is middle school, that they knew of because of what neighborhoods they came from or what was said about them. And beyond that, on the other side of that same coin, we got to know each other in terms of the purpose that was inside of each of them, the destiny that was placed inside of each of them. And as such, that little community of ours, through that however many weeks over the summer, we were able to grow and build together, not tearing down, but building up, identifying the purpose and destiny inside each of those young men and young women. And what I said to them was, if ever you feel like somebody is not knowing you, or you feel like maybe uh, somebody's not appreciating the gifts you have, at any point you can say, whether circle time or not, hey, know me, homie. A few years after that, I told my wife about that experience, and I'm like, man, I had this really great time. It was a cool time. I wonder what those kids are up to. And we had this circle time, and we called it Know Me, Homie. And my bride and I, when we're at our best, we're just joking and laughing and joining each other while building up, but we got jokes for days. And that one, she never let me off the hook for. Her head went in her hand, and she said, Know Me, Homie. <laughs> Who thought of that? And she's not let me live it down since. <laughs> Thank you, babe. But now I've got a congregation who won't let me live it down either because that's the title of today's sermon. Know me, <laughs> homie. Turn to your neighbor and just say, know me, homie. <laughs> you do that about three more times. And it's getting recorded. I got myself in some trouble. But just like the nonprofit organization community we were trying to develop, we too in the body of Christ can know each other a little bit better. Better. And to that end, we can know and recognize and appreciate more so the gifts that he's placed in each part of the body because we are all one body and each part affects the other. As an undergraduate, I majored in sports medicine where I was thrilled and fascinated by how little things that happen in one small part of the body would drastically impact the rest of the body. When I ruptured my Achilles a few years ago, I learned just how much I needed to work on my hamstrings, for example and the difference that that would make in my, in my Achilles working a little bit better. The people at the church of Corinth were experiencing some difficulty, to put it lightly, around appreciating each other and the gifts that they each had inside of them. And if you were here a few weeks ago when I spoke from 1 Corinthians 4, you might remember some of that backdrop, so I may skip over a little bit of it for context, but let me say a little bit about the Apostle Paul as is relevant to this uh, entire book, but also this passage. Apostle Paul, born as, for those who might know, you can fill in that blank, Saul of Tarsus. The brother was zealous for his faith, so much so that he persecuted the church, felt that they were distorting Judaism, felt that they were, in, in many ways, perpetuating a false Messiah. So he would run up in churches and literally drag folks out, beating them. And he was even there and oversaw and condoned, in many respects, the stoning to death of Stephen. Paul was a bad dude, Saul rather. And then he, on the road to Damascus, met Jesus, or Jesus met him. 
and I would stay there if I weren't trying to be a little bit expeditious this morning, but how many are glad that he met you on your road? When I think of the road that I was traveling to, so many things that we all will travel to on a road by ourselves, immorality, envy, jealousy, pride, self-destruction, and yet Jesus decided, I'm going to meet you and change your life. Met Saul on the road to Damascus, blinded him. He hears, he listens. He says, I'm following you now. His name has changed to Paul. And he becomes evangelist extraordinaire, church planter, an amazing theologian, and then goes about planting churches all over the place. He had uh, the, the first missionary journey. The second missionary journey is the context within which this, this scripture is resting. He planted churches in Philippi, Thessalonica, uh, Berea, went down to Athens, if you're familiar with the, the, the more uh, popular Mars Hill Address. That's where he preached that. And then afterwards, he comes to the city of Corinth, city that was quite affluent, very diverse, and paganism was running rampant. And he said, yep, right here, we're going to plant a church here. Stayed there for 18 months, developing, building up this church, leaves, and a few years later, he's in Ephesus doing his thing there when he gets word that they were having some problems in the city of Corinth. So he writes a brief letter, as we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. Brief letter to address it, but it didn't really address the problems. In fact, uh, Chloe, a lot of people in her house, that was the name of the woman whose household came back and said, hey, thanks for the letter, but uh, we still having issues. There's a lot of division, backbiting, issues with orderly worship, with foods being sacrificed to idols, all kinds of problems. Can you help? And so Paul then writes another letter that we know as the book of 1 Corinthians to address all of those issues. And the one focused upon in this particular text is that of jealousy and pride because they were a church plan. Dealing with, as they were mostly recently converted, issues of discarding certain parts of the body. In my imagination, I think you have a lot of people in a church plant that are filling roles maybe they've never filled before in leadership positions that might be fresh and new, and maybe some of them said, huh, feels good up here. How you doing down there? We don't really need you. You're not on stage today. And they had this bickering back and forth, jealousy back and forth. And I am of the mindset that I think of what Apostle Paul was saying to the church at Corinth, but I also reference what he says in 2 Corinthians, if I can go there briefly, 13 verse 1, where it says, out of the mouth of two more is every word established. And so some of the hermeneutical principles by which I pursue scripture leads me to then see, God, what is the thread through the general tenor of scripture about jealousy or pride? Was this just for the church of Corinth or might this be for us too? And you can fill in that blank. Proverbs is replete with examples about pride and what that comes before the fall. We can look in 1 Samuel and look at the conversation or the relationship between King Saul and David, a dynamic duo until Saul got a little jealous of the songs being sung about David and brothers started throwing shade at David, which looked like spears, <laughs> literally throwing, I'm going to pin you to the wall, David, because he was jealous and pride started to surface in his own heart. So we see throughout scripture, not just in the city of Corinth, but throughout scripture, which for me says it might be a little relevant for us today that we need to deal with what could crop up in us as it relates to jealousy and pride. Anybody want to be honest? You don't have to raise your hand and say, yes, there may be a little bit in me that I can rid myself of this morning. You can say amen internally if you don't want to admit that. They were struggling, the church at Corinth was, with proper acknowledgement of each part of the body. They didn't know them. They didn't know the God in them. 
for my wife. Turn to your neighbor and just say, know me, homie. <laughs> so how do we go about learning from them? A mentor of mine says, the best teacher isn't actually your experience. The best teacher is somebody else's. I don't need to go through all that mess to know that it's just not going to work. Amen. So what can we learn from the city at Corinth, Frankie? For us to pursue this life in concert with one another in the ways that bring glory to God and reconciliation to each other. Romans 8 and 16 says this, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. When we know each other beyond the superficial pleasantries and on the other side of that coin, the spirit from which the 12th verse says, 12 and 13th verse says in this text, that we all drink, then we'll recognize just how much we belong to each other. We have all been baptized by the same spirit, verse 13 says, so as to form one body, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, black, white, rich, poor, Democrat, Republican. Hello, walls and lights. <laughs> You'll never hear from me, short parenthetical, You'll never hear from me from this pulpit who you should ever vote for. That's not ever going to come out of my mouth, though I will encourage you very strongly to get out and exercise the vote that you do have and to recognize that whomever it is you're voting for, there will be lack. The reason why I talked to the walls for a minute, because I think if we got real, and I'm going to have to wrap this up, we won't have a lot of time. If we got real, there are probably some of us, not unlike the church at Corinth, that are saying, God, did you really make them? <laughs> You hear what they're saying? You hear the policies coming out of their mouth? Did you really? Are they a part of this body? Never will tell you who to vote for, but to vote and to remember there's always going to be a lack and no party has the corner of the market on biblical conscience, which is what I would encourage you to always vote. What is God saying to you through his word? And know that no party has the corner of the market on that. That having been said, we are all parts of the body. Y'all back with the walls and lights? They were listening. The body is not made up of one part, but of many. Verse 15 through 18 says, Now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? He's placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. You have the gifts he's wanted you to have, and you matter. What he's placed inside of you for the body of Christ is critical for the body of Christ to be as fit, to be as healthy as God intended us to be. In my continuation of honesty, which I never need a disclaimer for, I, I might step in it on this one, but I I, I wonder, God, really, did you make people who clapped on the one and three? <laughs> really? Why'd you do that? <laughs> Why? I'm down here. You hear me clapping very loudly on the two and four, which let me just come back. If you're on the one and three, the five, six, if you sing in the key of Z, make a joyful noise because only you know how good God has been to you. How's that for a cleanup? You know how good he's been to you. So I don't care where you clap. And what key you singing? Just maybe not too loudly if it's Z. You know how good God has been to you, and together we rejoice in the Lord. Verse 19 and 20, I'm going to move on. says, if they were all one part, where would the body be? 
As it is, there are many parts, but there is one body. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Apostle Paul using a lot of exclamation points. The people at Corinth were tripping. Tripping. And it's not to say that we don't. There's no stones being thrown here from a glass house. But God, help us to minimize said tripping and just to be about the trip you've called us to make here on earth. Lord, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And may, be I, be a, may I be a conduit through whom that can happen very well. Those parts that seem to be weaker. Lots of analogies to present here, one of which I think of is that of the heart or the lungs. Seem to be weaker, concealed, right? Fragile, if you will. Not indispensable. May not get all the attention that maybe our face gets or our hands if we wear jewelry or whatever, but, but if it weren't there, we'd have some problems. Say, God, what does that look like in the body of Christ? And I came up with a number of examples, but just to whet your appetite for further study later, I thought about those whose, whose seasoning on their life is a bit more than mine. Those who have seen a little bit more in life, they might not be out front saying a whole lot, but trust the whispers in my ear that I get from the wisdom of the elders make a huge difference in the life of this church and the church, Big C. Those in the community, perhaps that, may be thought of by community standards as eh, maybe they won't find themselves in this space or maybe not God help me to see the spirit from which they drink and whether they are on this pulpit preaching or playing like Tyler who could be playing anywhere in the country and around the world did y'all know how good that brother is or whether it's Joseph who's putting you don't know it but you find us because he's gotten out early in the morning and put some stakes in the ground along with his team those flags it's Wendell making sure that the, the air, there's no hot air blowing out of the ceiling like it was last week. But by the time you got here, you didn't know because he was running around making sure that we were cooled off. That we accord honor and reverence and praise and appreciation for all of those parts of the body. Because none, however it might seem to the natural eye, none are dispensable. Somebody just scream, know me, homie couple more times before we get out verse 26 if one part suffers every part suffers with it if one part is honored every part rejoices with it there is nothing like uh, there's a research professor out of the university of uh, houston named Brene brown uh, there's nothing like as, as she puts it i like getting in the hole of despair or hurt with someone like they're down there and they're, there's nothing like getting in there and saying, you know what, I'm going to sit here with you for as long as it takes. I'm just here. Don't know what to say. Never really been in here before. Don't really know what it's like to be you in this hole, but I'm going to climb on in here. Nothing like that versus, how's it going down there? You okay? You good? I'm sorry. I'm going to pray for you, which is not to minimize prayer. Prayer, we believe it, and pow it's powerful to pray. But different, different posture, right, than let me get in here and spend some time with you. What has it been like? How do I pray with and for you? When one of us suffers, all of us suffer. We mourn with those who mourn like El Paso and Dayton. We prayed for this morning. We mourn with those who feel oppressed by cultural dynamics beyond their control. We, we, we suffer with those who are experiencing suffering, if, even if we can't quite identify. Teammates matter, and the parts of the body, whether or not you know it, if it helps to think of it selfishly, you're better when you do that for another part. My Achilles is better when I concentrated a bit on my hamstring and gave it some attention. Isn't that interesting in society? That's another conversation, how we have to flip it on to how it does benefit you. But if that helps, you're better 
if you're saying, let me give attention to the homie sitting to my left and right, if I know them a little bit more, I'm actually better as a part of the body if they get stronger. Conversely, how many of you have a friend that you call and they get more excited for you about the good news you've just gotten? Anybody have a friend like that? I do. If you don't, you got to get one. I mean, more excited. Just like, man, okay, I'm going to call you every time I get a, some good news. I love that. How can I be that for my neighbor? When you call me Frankie and tell us of some good news, when you call me Kendall and tell me, I want to be just as excited. But you know where the enemy will creep in? Again, some imagination here in the church of Corinth, which I think is relevant to us today. It's when somebody calls you and says, and I'm speaking pretty particularly now for the context that we find ourselves in seven months into a church plant and says, man, I'm going to be preaching next Sunday. And you're thinking somewhere in there, man, I thought I was next <laughs> or I was going to preach or I'm going to be heading up the hospitality or I'm going to whatever it is. How can you in that moment be like, praise the Lord. Go get it, bro. You got it, sis. I know you. You can do it with the power of God working in and through you. Even if you're thinking, man, why not me? That's real. By the way, I'm looking forward to the day of having some folks from within. We've got a long, deep bench in the body of Christ as it relates to the family of churches we're a part of. And I'm grateful for how they come in almost once a month to just shed light on scripture and their prayers for us. But God, I am excited about the day when from within y'all get to hear some of what God is doing in and through some of y'all sitting here now to preach this gospel at least once a month and just a, a regular rotation of that. But can you be excited when they call you and let you know that their turn is up? Can you do that? Man, I'm going to be running the, the screens next week. I get to do transition. I get to do, I, whatever it is that you feel like is, can you be excited? And similarly, can you point out or give excitement to and honor and accord to those who you may, never, you may never see on stage? I reference one in Joseph and Wendell and John, who you never see, but he's walking around this place with his eyes peeled to ensure that we can worship in a distraction-free environment. Can you go and find those homies of yours and say, I want to know you and appreciate you and honor you for your part in this body of Christ? If we don't, as I conclude, we can almost guarantee that we are going to devalue someone's existence. Reconcile to God and to each other. I say it often. The cross was messy. That reconciliatory act was messy. This is messy just the same. Knowing each other is messy. And yet, if the intentionality and purposeful nature of sitting with, and we have victory groups here at, in Victory Church that is one way through which we get to sit with each other. If we don't, we are devaluing, unintentionally or not, marginalizing, if I could use that word, someone's existence. And God, help us to learn from why the Apostle Paul had to write a few letters to the church at Corinth because of their jealousy and their pride and their not knowing their homies well. When we know the God in each of us, we will see differently. May we see like God, hear like God, that which he's placed next to us as a part of that body. And I'm glad in my second conclusion, man, I'm doing the same thing. Old preachers used to do five conclusions. This will be the last. I am so glad that we have an example of even in those moments where we are not as mindful as we should be, as thoughtful as we should be, we have an example of one who knows us 
every hair on our head. He knows us. His thoughts, the Bible says, are like the sands in the seashore. Before I was born, like Jeremiah, before I was born in my mother's womb, you knew me and you had set me apart. We have an example in one who knew us and that we will be sitting here this day in 2019 and him wanting us to do something special in this city decided to say, yeah, you can hang me high. You can stretch me wide for them because I know them. And I want the same power when I rise from the grave as he did to rest with them and through such power to know your neighbors. That is a privilege and that is the honor we get today in saying, know me, homie. And yes, it's kind of phrased in such a way that it sounds like it's about you, but do not get it twisted. It's really about the person sitting next to you who's saying it to you loudly, even though they're not opening their mouths. Know me, I'm here, see me and the God in me and what as a body of Christ we might do when we get dressed with all of the tools God has given us, breastplates of righteousness, all of, all of that. When we come prepared and have, as somebody testified earlier this morning, the it is written in our spirit like Jesus did in the wilderness, we're like, I see you jealousy, I see you pride. Nah, that's a part of the body. We belong to each other. Let's go. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you.